Section 11 of The Vampire Nemesis and Other Weird Tales of the China Coast by Dolly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Section 11 Death Grips, Part 10. Looking back, I see now with what resiliency the mind is apt to spring back to hope and buoyancy the instant the pressure is removed. Crushed though the spirit appears beneath the weight, at the first respite it is ready to leap up and fancy that, because the sun is shining and the stars invisible, they do not exist. Rawdon, I remembered with a thrill of thankfulness, had been plainly cowed by my threatening demeanor. He would not dare now to goad me further to desperation. As day after day passed and my will remained my own to guide my actions as I chose, I was filled with deep gratitude for my release from the talons of this fiend in human shape. Thus I soothed my soul with specious comfort, nor dreamed that my tormentor was but fostering his dissipated mental energy. I did not gauge the black depths of Rawdon's malignant soul. I did not know how dear to the hypnotist was his power, so dear as to make him wish to exercise it at all risks. But I was to find out. My God, I was to find that in the midst of my fancied security I was as heavily fettered as if bound with invisible chains. A few days before my editor had called me into his room and recommended me to take a brief holiday. He had noted my harassed looks, had noticed too the discrepancies in my work, that of late had become too glaringly frequent, and concluded that the strain of the last few weeks, we were in the middle of the Japanese war, had been too much for me. Take your wife down to Hong Kong and back, he had said kindly. We can spare you, I think, for three weeks, and you will return all the more fit and ready to do two men's share. I had thanked him and declined. I did not want to go. In truth, I could not have gone had I wished. But now everything was different. I told my chief that I intended to avail myself of his liberality and would take a trip to Chefu. He looked mildly surprised that I should choose to go north instead of south. It was still early in the year, and Chefu would be much too cold to be pleasant. However, he acquiesced readily in my wish for a holiday, so we made all preparations, my wife and I, to go up by one of the Butterfield boats. The day before we sailed, I received a note from Rawdon. I read it through, then put it away with a smile. I was so confident in my new strength that I did not care a rap what he had to say or what he did. "'I am glad,' it said, "'that you propose taking a holiday at Chefu, and hope it will be a long and enjoyable one, though I sadly fear you may find it convenient to return long before the expiration of the allotted period. Yours very sincerely, A. Rawdon.' Long before we reached our destination, the words of the note had begun to haunt me with the ominous and now familiar presentiment of coming danger. Yet at the time of its receipt, I read it through and tossed it carelessly into my desk. For I could afford to smile then at his vague innuendos. And so we left Shanghai for Chefu in the steamship Hunan. I, poor fool, cheerful at my release and confident in my newly recovered strength. Ethel, with quick womanly sympathy, noticing my altered looks, equally rejoiced at my obvious improvement in health. In the wisdom of after-knowledge, I wondered at myself for thinking that the reptile could so easily have allowed his power to slip from him. I see now that those vague premonitions of approaching disaster that towards the latter end of our journey assailed me were a warning that this old man of the sea was still clinging tenaciously to my shoulders, riding me to destruction, though for the time he had apparently relinquished the curb and forborne to use the spurs. 
I see it all so plainly now, and it makes it all the more bitter to look back upon. There is nothing more pitifully sad than to look back, as we rise bruised and broken at the pit over which we have stumbled, and see how plain it was had we but looked. It was the commencement of the foggy season. The typhoons had made way for the blistering northeast monsoon, which in turn had yielded place to the dreaded fog, and the harassed sailor could look forward, with what resignation he might, to two or three months of constant groping and creeping out of the darkness astern into the darkness ahead, with nothing but the fog whistle of the passing steamers, braying like frightened animals out there in the blackness to assure him that earth and sea yet existed. We had our full share of it, off the Shantung promontory it shut down like a pall that made either end of the ship melt away and vanish. But while the captain and the officer of the watch anxiously paced the bridge, or leaned over the rails as though trying to get just a foot or two nearer and to catch the welcome shriek of the lighthouse siren, I stood on the deck below, positively glorying in the fog. It was to me a solid wall that shut me out completely from the world, and the force I had begun again to dread. We rounded the promontory, guided by nothing but that weird shriek that commenced in a gurgle and died away in a groan. And as we bore up in the direction of Eddy Island, the fog continued as impenetrably dense as before. To my wayward fancy, it seemed like the hand of a protecting providence, hiding my tracks from the kin of my malevolent pursuer. We reached Chefu and put up at the cozy little beach hotel, and here for two days life ran smoothly, and I was happy and at ease. On the third I got up early, and went alone for a stroll along one of the prettiest stretches of sandy beach the China coast can boast. It was a glorious morning. The fresh sea breeze blew in upon me with a sense of freedom infinitely soothing to my oppressed spirit. Far out the Kutai Islands were waging their passive war against the encroaching sea, as it boiled and seethed angrily around the rocks on their shore. In its mad endeavor to sweep in on the ships lying so snugly at anchor in the harbor. I had intended walking right out to the wall that crests the hill beyond the bay, but soon after passing the schools I stopped in indecision, and stood looking back along the curving sweep of the yellow sands that terminated in the bold headland of Tower Hill, with its shades of green and brown, backed by the sunlit blue of the sea. And as I looked at the few ships that anchored farther out than the others, peeped coyly round its base, I turned and, hardly aware of what I was doing, commenced to retrace my steps. Upon passing the French vice-consulate, instead of continuing along the beaches I had come, I turned to the left, going by way of the fields to the custom-house jetty in the town. Here I paused, gazing restlessly out toward the bluff and the open sea, until a Japanese steamer with the blue peter flying at the fore caught my eye. A jet of steam was issuing from her forecastle head as she hove short her cable, and still blindly obeying the sudden impulse that had brought me thus far, I hastened down the steps, and jumping into a sampan directed the boatman to pull with all speed to the outgoing steamer. Once on board, I had no need to ask of the astonished captain where she was going. I knew... How could she be bound for any place but Shanghai, since that resistless force had drawn me on board of her? Drawn me as easily across these 480 miles as if I had still been at Shanghai. I engaged my passage on board, and tearing a leaf out of my notebook, scribbled a few hurried lines to my wife telling her I had been recalled to town on a matter of the utmost importance, 
and directed her to collect our baggage and follow me down by the first steamer. I gave the note with directions to the Sampan man who had brought me off. Then as the steamer began to move out from the roads, I went below to the cabin that had been hastily cleared out for my reception, overwhelmed by a shuddering terror I dare not attempt to depict. This was the meaning of that note of his. The fiend! He was dragging me back. Fight against it as I might to the bondage I feared and loathed. Dragging me back as surely and relentlessly as the cat, with one cruel paw claws back at the wounded mouse that is trying to crawl beyond her reach. I sat down on the settee and cried like a little child. It was the first time I remembered to have shed tears since I entered upon boyhood, but I wept now with the feeling of utter helplessness of a child in the dark. I believe in the numbness of my despair I would have flung myself over the ship's side and so have ended all. A dozen times during that short voyage the wish formed itself in my mind and crystallized into resolution. But I dare not carry it out. It was not the constraint of fear, for who would fear a welcome visitor with freedom and rest in his gift? I had to go to Shanghai, and go I must, even the last grim remedy which all humanity holds itself free to grasp when the burdens of life have become too oppressive to be borne, was denied me. The horror of it, that haunting conviction that I was no longer a free agent, that I could not even seek death without another's permission. Insanity itself would have been a relief. I thought enviously as we swung past the saddles of a lunatic I had once seen, to whom the cares of the world were but shadows, who, laughing ever, lived but in the glorious present among joys of his own conjuring. And so we turned into the Yangste, and catching a convenient tide at Wusong, reached Shanghai that same evening. It was growing dark before we passed the bar signal station, and the red lights hoisted on the flagstaff looked to my shuddering sight like the glaring orbs of an argus-eyed monster, gloating luridly over my recapture as they blinked at us from astern. On reaching town, I drove at once to the house and let myself in with the latch key. The Chinese boy who had been left in charge was unmistakably surprised at my unexpected return, a surprise not unmixed with chagrin for he was dispensing liberal hospitality in the kitchen to a crowd of admiring friends who had taken up permanent quarters there during our absence. And now, curiously enough, the compelling force that had drawn me here lessened in intensity and ceased altogether on my arrival at home. It left me in a state of mental perturbation, drifting waywardly to and fro like the boat that, whirling down the rapids, finds itself drawn suddenly into the comparative calm of some backwater lacking the guiding hand that had once urged it to the descent. End of section 11